What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Human Predator Pack Mule Podcast. Today, I got my buddy Chris Merritt on the horn, and we did a podcast. That's why it's on here, the Human Predator Pack Mule Podcast. And he and I have a really cool gig working with a full-time federal tactical law enforcement unit. Yes, that is a gigantic mouthful full of words, uh, but we have to say that because we're not technically allowed to say the group that we work with. And this episode is devoted to how we train them, the work that we do with them, because there are a lot of parallels between how we train them to be ready to do whatever they need to do and how I train all of the human predator back mule clients to be ready for their hunts. There's a lot of crossover. And I think in understanding that and realizing like, you know, even these super hard operator, tough dudes don't need to be training. Like they're going to like the world's on fire all the time. They need to train smart and sensibly. So I wanted to have Chris on to illustrate that. So everyone can understand that smart and sensible training just works for everybody. And it is the best way for longevity. So I'm going to shut up now and we're going to get to the podcast with Chris. All right. So on today's show, I am joined by one of my closest friends and my business partner. And most recently he's become one of my hunting partners uh, my buddy, Chris Merritt. Hi, Chris. Hi there. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Uh, so this is, it's, it's weird because uh, Chris and I talk every fucking day because we're business partners and we live probably about a mile away from each other and we see each other at the gym and we talk on the phone all the time. So I just, I try to, <clears throat> I try to cut the formality of doing a podcast with them because we've done it a bunch of times. And it's like, it's silly to have any kind of formality to that, but because uh, we've also known each other for a decade, but you know, uh, Chris and I have done a bunch of podcasts in the fitness industry, and we had our own podcast for our other business, which our, our other business partner runs now instead of us. And so we've done this a bunch of times, but I've never got to introduce him to this community, to the hunting community. And uh, I want to introduce Chris because of something that, you know, we work on together and that he brought me into, which is uh, working with a, a full-time tactical unit. And I want to talk to him about it because there's a lot of parallels between what we do there and what I do with human predator pack mule and, and everybody that's training for backcountry hunts and stuff like that. So Chris, um, since like these folks don't know you, maybe, maybe tell us who you are, pal. Oh man. Uh, these are always like awkward to do. Like, what do you, what do you say? Uh, Just the stuff I don't know, that man. people I... are going to care about. That's the stuff. I grew up in rural, somewhat rural Pennsylvania, not as rural as Todd, like 15 minutes down the road, you're in the, the capital of Harrisburg, which is like a super weak city. If you've never been there, 30,000 folks, 30, hardly 000. even a city. Uh, you, you don't want to go there. Um, but I kind of grew up in the country. Like our neighbors were a cattle farm and a dairy farm. And then behind that actually um, huge private property owned by, if you've ever watched the show, um, uh, the corner on uh, ID channel investigation discovery. So that family, the Hetrick family owns all this property behind us. So I guess to bring it like not to get right into hunting, but it was awesome because I could walk out my parents' back door um, and there's fishing Creek and you could catch nati uh, natives and I could walk out and, and go hunting and everything back there. So, and then that property backed up the state game lands. So at the time you don't realize what you have as a kid, you're like, why don't we have neighbors that I can go play with every day? Sure. Uh, and now I, I probably miss that. And not to mention at the very end of their road, uh, the Susquehanna river with some of the best bass fishing that, you know, 
I'm glad I finally found some places here on the Potomac, but I really miss, uh, really miss Susquehanna. It's but, not the um, same. The Susquehanna, the Susquehanna and the Juniata are way better than the Potomac for smallmouth fishing. I mean, I'll say like, I'm excited for this coming fishing season as it warms up, like, because now I'm like, oh, okay. I understand where to go. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think, I think crushed this year. I mean, I had some really good days last year, but, um, anyways, so yeah, I kind of grew up, uh, not a video game kid or anything like that. I always wanted to be outdoors, um, played, you know, a ton of sports and really didn't get into weightlifting or anything until, uh, high school. I always, I always wanted, you know, it was like, I was always the skinny scrawny kid. It wasn't the weight loss story. And I always wanted to lift weights, but no one really took me that serious. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, finally, I don't know, maybe senior year, junior year, probably junior year of high school or something. My parents bought me one of those like all in one bench press leg extension preacher curl um sets and uh that like really lit the fire and then when i got my uh, i guess like tech i was gonna say technically second job and say first job but i was working at subway and long story short i walked into a gold's gym to finally buy my own gym membership and uh really lift weights outside a little bit that i did in high school and uh the 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 short of it is that they wound up offering me a job because I had on my subway uniform and uh, they were opening a new gym just down the road. It was going to have a subway on the gym floor and uh, leaving a whole bunch of stuff out. The rest is history. That's how I made it into the fitness industry. Before we go any further, <laughs> that the creek behind your house, yeah. did it have, was it, was it brook trout or did it have brown trout in it? I think both. It did? Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. No, was, I was and like, huge creek chubs like the really really random mix of, of things back there i think darren even caught a bass one time like that far up it, like, oh, it probably came up from the river yeah but it's way way up my parents are i don't know how many miles in from the river but like like i'm totally guessing seven miles somewhere between seven ten miles up from the river i mean you've been there it's pretty far yeah, up. it is far so. from the river i we've, we took uh there's this place right by the standard steel in burnham by where my mom lives in pennsylvania and it's on kish creek and it's miles and miles from the river too from the juniata river and we one of my buddies and i think we were in high school or we just started college he caught like a gigantic walleye in the middle of like there's a dam there they're pulling i think they're pulling it out but it's in a it's in the middle of the creek and there's like on the way up there it's not there's some stretches that are deep but it's not super deep water it's just amazing how far how far up fish will go and do that kind of shit it's pretty yeah. neat but uh anyway that's we have a pretty cool gig um i'll let you tell the story and describe it and then uh i want to talk about because we always tell the joke uh like we do what we do for them is what crossfit says they do but we actually do it uh so i want to talk about that but why don't you tell i mean obviously we can't say who it is but what we do and kind of the how you got started out there and then pulled me in yeah so uh like like you said it's a full-time uh tactical law enforcement group uh yeah i was gonna say more than that but we'll, we'll leave it at that um how i got started yeah so you know to give a little bit more backstory because i'm kind of like that's how i got in the fitness industry it was funny as i as i i grew up like i said being super active but i was actually super into music and i've been playing guitar my whole life and I was going to school for production because I'd already graduated from a college level course um, for guitar by the time that I was 15, maybe. And my guitar instructor was like, do not go to college for music. And I was like, 
but I want to. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you know what would be cool? It'd be cool to be a record producer. And so I went to school for one year uh, for sound engineering, for music production. And I hated it. And that was right around that time that, you know, I was getting into lifting weights and I was seeing this like serious transformation in myself and around the same time. Um, uh, my best friend, Dustin Pegg is uh, a professional skateboarder, but he was out on the West coast, kind of got homesick, came home and, uh, rolled into a blockbuster and stumbled upon a UFC DVD, which was, I, I was already lightly familiar with because one of our friend's dads was real into it. And he was like, is this fake? Is this WWE? And we're like, no, this is real. And he watches it and understand this kid is already professional in skateboarding. Like that's, he's, he's living the dream doing that. And he's like, I'm tired of it. Like I'm homesick with it. I'm going to go, I'm going to do this. Like I'm, I'm going to go professional. This. not only that, I'm going to be in the UFC. And it was half joking, half serious pact that we made. It was like, well, you know what? Fine. I'm going to go to school. For, I'm going to switch over. I'm going to go to school for exercise science around the time I graduate. Um, you know, by then you're going to be in the UFC and, uh, we're going to open a gym together. And like, when I say it was like, we were serious, but we really weren't serious. Cause it was like, yeah, right. That'd be awesome. Like, cool. Right. Uh, and that's pretty much what happened. And I share that to say, uh, you know, you know, but for anyone listening, that doesn't know, like since 2011, the gym has shared a facility with Disciple MMA Academy, which is the mixed martial arts side of the house that he had started. And that is how we wound up doing what we do uh, today because one of the guys out there brought his kids over to watch uh, some MMA fighters. And, and he knew um, another one of the owners over there, Scott Howard. So he brought his kids in to watch and we were closed that day and our door was shut, but there was a big, if you remember, there was that big like banner logo. It's like turned sideways on the door. And he yeah. was like, He's like, what's beyond strength performance? And so Scott starts telling him and he, he was just like super interested in it for himself. So Scott connected us by email. Um, we hopped on the phone and he and I, it was like, it was like talking to someone you've been friends with for years. We talked for like an hour and a half talking philosophy and he was all into reading Dan, John and everything. And um, he's like, well, I'd love to come out and get assessed, which led to him coming out, me assessing him, talking about a plan. And then again, he kept picking my brain and I think we sat there and it's funny because Jasmine uh, Reeves was uh, now DeVivo was uh, an intern at the time. And she was like, you, you care if I sit in on this? And we sat there and like, we were whiteboarding stuff out for like three hours. And I'm like, man, I'm spending a lot of time with this dude. Like, I feel like he's not, you know, I'm a little confused as to like why he's asking me so many questions. And then as we wrap up, he says, all right, I got to go make some calls. Um, I'll, I'll be in touch. And I'm still like oblivious. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And then he hits me up and he explains, um, the full, uh, I don't know if I want to say the full depth, but explains to me who he is and, and what group he's with. And basically says, uh, I want you to come in and, uh, essentially, you know, try for the position to take over our human performance program. And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> can't do that. I I've got the gym to run. I've got these other things going on, um, which is laughable at this point now to see everything we have going on and we manage, I wasn't doing that much at the time. Um, and, uh, he's like, yeah, cool. So can you do Wednesday after I just said no, I was like, yeah, what time? <laughs> and so, uh, one thing led to another, I got out there and the interview brought things like full circle because Greg Jackson, who is, you know, John Jones, Holly Holm, like the who's who of like top people in the UFC over the years, um, 
he's been the trainer to those guys and girls. And uh, he was there because he's really good friends with the dude that was interviewing me. And because of training Dustin and Dustin was in the UFC at this point, Dustin was on the reality show, the ultimate fighter. He's very well connected in the industry. It was, it was like, they weren't trying to fluster me with putting Greg Jones there, but instead of it being like a, this is Greg Jones. Like, you know, I was like, Hey, good to see you again. And everyone was kind of like, what? Because I had already cornered multiple UFC events and Greg is cornering someone like every single fight. And so we wound up just like catching up and he's like, oh, how's Scott doing? How's Dustin? Like, and they were sitting there like, huh? Cause Son he's not like, like if you're not familiar with him, like he's not local, he's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, there's no way that, you know, in, in regular interaction that we would know each other. And so it was like instant um, rapport, like right away they were, uh, or credibility, I guess you could say. Sure. And um, yeah, so the, the short of it is, even though I'm, I'm not short with anything, if you haven't caught on, uh, the, the, to, to bring it home is basically the same thing. I, I told them, I don't know that I can do this from a time perspective, but they kept being like, yeah, that's cool. So if you did, and they kept throwing scenarios at me and finally they were just like, well, all right, you know, we're going to go do whatever. Um, this dude's going to give you a tour and uh, let's just see what we can do. And so the tour turned into like spending the day there and just being like a kid in a candy shop, like seeing everything being like, this is wild. What am I doing here? And then they basically said I wasn't going to catch up with them that day because they were off doing stuff, but I was there so long that I was being escorted back to the parking lot to leave and they were pulling back in. And um, I, at that point I was like, I'm in like, what, what's what's up what do we got to do and uh and they were like well let's, let's get you out here for this like six month probationary period and, and try everything out and um I think six weeks in I remember very specifically I was at Costco and my phone rang and it was one of them and she's like all right like you're in and I was like I thought we were doing six months he's like yeah no we're good and so that was 2014 and here we are 2021 and still still doing that and opening more doors to work with uh more groups like them so yeah, super cool. Uh, it's it is like, uh, I mean, even when I still pull up there, sometimes I'm like, it's I'm like, what am I doing here? This is a, it's, <laughs> it's super cool because I you know I've throughout my career I've got to coach all kinds of different people and to go there and and be able to help those guys and uh, keep them doing what they do is incredible because these guys that we that we train you know when they have to go to work, it's like, they're literally doing hero shit a lot of the time. So it's like to know that we're helping keep those guys prepared to do that is, is, uh, it's a pretty cool feeling. One, one of the guys the other day, they, I don't know what the details of it were, but I was in the gym and, uh, this is on Monday and like, they'll get pinged with different things and all of their phones, you know, go off. And it's like, when, when you hear this, like, I don't know exactly what it is they're listening for, but all of them check their phone and there's like, ah, damn it, mother. Like, and I'm like, what's going on? And they were like, we were just informed that we're all hanging out this weekend, Friday through Monday. And, um, like no going home and, uh, maybe to sleep. I don't know the full details, but, and they're all like losing their minds. And one of the guys goes, he's just smiling real big. He goes, you know what? And he says to one of the newer guys whose name is escaping me right now, but you had him in knots within the last two uh, classes. And, um, and, uh, he says, you know, like once you've been here long enough, you will realize that, you know, we get to do a lot of really awesome stuff and our jobs are really, really fun. And every now and then you just get that thing and you're like, all right, paying my dues, paying my dues with this one. And there's just certain things that you get sent out on that you're like, this sucks. This <laughs> sucks. So yeah, 
they like when you when you're saying they do hero shit like yes but they also apparently get drug into things that they're just oh, like sure this is not my job description <laughs> it's like no yeah, well we've talked about that recently about some of the stuff that's going yeah. on they're like yeah. they got caught out for it. it's like that's not what we do yeah uh, but when they do have to go do shit it's 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 serious shit man um so let's uh, i guess as we break into more of like what we do and how we do it maybe we should talk about um kind of how we break up our roles out there and like what you do and what I do. And then we'll talk about, you know, laying out the the programming and, and how we, how we actually train them to be ready for anything without uh, doing stupid shit. So sure. I'll let you handle that. So when I came in, uh, there was talk of, like I, I said, the name knots earlier, which is a, just kind of a standard name in that world for new operators. Um, and so I didn't work with them right off the bat. What I did first was I did seminars of, I don't know, 20, 25 people at a time and to slowly introduce everybody to our philosophy because I was like, listen, like it, one of the first things that did was just go, they, they called it the beer test. But for me, it was a, a big opportunity to go observe because what the beer test is, they were like, we don't want you to do anything. We just want you to go hang out in the gym. And I'm like, do what? They're like, just hang out, talk, like, go, go uh, meet the guys. And, you know, you just watch and, and you're observing what's going on. And they didn't tell me it was the beer test. And then uh, I did this for, I don't know, a few days. And, and they were like, all right, uh, let's go on a walk. Uh, the one dude comes in the one day. And he's like, uh, he goes, uh, you passed the beer test. I'm like, well, what's the beer test? He goes, well, if you're going to be here, he goes, you got to jive with the guys. He goes, so literally, like, as you've been hanging out and talking, he's like the different guys that you're interacting with we've been having them report back. And, and the question really is, um, what do you think? Is he someone that you'd have a beer with? And if the answer is no, um, like it's just, it's not going to work because no one's really going to listen to what you have to say and, and want to work with you. So, um, but like I said, the, the flip side of it was that I got to observe what they did without, you know, really having much of any coaching going on at the time. And I just saw stuff that I was like, Oh boy. So um, I said to them like, Hey, if we're going to do this, I just don't think guys are going to buy into how we're going to come here and, uh, and do things. But I think it would help if we had um, like an in-doc seminar, basically come in, learn our philosophy, and then we'll actually do some hands-on assessments. Um, and that way we can kind of show guys based on everything we just taught you, excuse me, here's where you're at. And then we would crank out customized programs from there. And that's what I did uh, for the first, I don't know how many months and got, like most of the, the team guys up and running with that, a lot of the team guys up and running with that, maybe 70, 80, some dudes. Um, and then we started with the new operators, like anymore, I forget when, like in the spring of, you know, whatever year it might've been, might've been spring of 2015 that we started. Um, yeah, it was. And, uh, and so then that was very different in that when you're with the teams, you can, train however you want which sometimes still blows my mind because sometimes I see guys do stuff that's like you're literally shortening your career and there's nothing that anyone can do about it because of the way that things are set up here um, but when guys are in uh, that that first year of onboarding when they're when they're in their new operators training uh, they don't have any say and so what's cool there is that we get complete control over their training I say a year but it's really about what like 10 months maybe it's nine like 10 months. months yeah 10 months yeah so um, yeah and it, the first year uh, I did it all and it was a lot on top of managing the gym and then hired uh, Kevin to come out there and help me. And he took over knots, but then he decided to move uh, Colorado <laughs> and I actually did Virginia beach that time. 
kids moved all over. Um, and so I was like, crap, what am I going to do? And then you came down and you've taken over the knot since 2016. 2016. So, is that not, yeah. that can't be right. It's hundred percent correct. So then maybe yeah. we did work with the knots in 2014. I don't even know because yeah. Anyways, who knows? Years are weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So let's, when you, what's, let me see. All right. So I think we should just start by dispelling some myths. And I think one of the, um, one of the things that, that parallels mixed martial arts is, and maybe it's not the same anymore because I think people are wisening up a little bit in that arena. Um, so I think it maybe is a good parallel for how, maybe they're not, I don't know, but it seems to be, and maybe it's just because of who we have access to and who we communicate with. But, um, it used to kind of be in the dark ages where folks would just think that because an MMA bout is five minutes on one minute off and you know, you have higher heart rates and it's intensity, everything is built around these stupid circuits that just crush, just crush fighters and everything like that. Um, you know, and I think there's, there's definitely some similarities in the, in the hunting strength conditioning world, because I think it's still in the dark ages, but I think there's this myth that, to be ready for anything uh, like the guys that we train need to be that you have to train with this incredibly ridiculous variation and, and, and different things every day and all that kind of stuff. And I guess what I want to talk about is some of the things that we see out there and what the reality is about that, how we actually train people to be ready for everything. We might be able to just do the whole fucking rest of this podcast on that, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you say what we see out there, uh... or I mean, at least in a, you know what I think is a good idea. And, and I know you tell this, we, I want to get back to what we, uh, okay, to everything I, I just said, but I think you should tell the story of when you first started out there and the guy pulled you aside and told yeah. you that I want you to tell that real quick. Yeah. What's funny is that I actually shared this with him recently. Cause it's been so many years and he actually wasn't there at the time. He had left to go do something else, which is common. And then he came back in a higher, uh, like senior role. And I told him, I was like, Hey, you know, that had a huge impact on me. And he's like, I said that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's awesome. But, uh, he was maybe half joking, but, uh, essentially what happened was one of the very first, maybe the very first seminar that I did. Um, this, this guy was invited in and he, uh, was somewhere else in the country running an entire, uh, unit and um, was just invited to come in and observe and kind of give his opinion of everything. And after the first day, he like stuck around. I, I was like cleaning up the gym after we were done with like assessments and everything. And uh, he uh, he like hung around with me and was like making small talk. But then it was like as we left, he was like, "All right, dude. So listen." He's like, "We need this. Like like the the guys here really need this." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, awesome. Like, I wonder why he's saying it like this." He goes, but, um, you know, here's the thing, like be prepared for a lot of pushback. He's like, there is old guard here. Um, that is just going to be like, we, you know, we don't need this, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said, but like this new age, like that, you know, I'll tell you how we've always done it and, and right. look at us basically. And I'm like, okay. He's like, so he goes, have you ever heard about the monkeys in the cage? And I'm like, what? No. Like, and he goes, all right. He's like, so there was this study done, which, quick caveat like there wasn't really a study done it's just a it's just a, a parable people, yeah, yeah parable um and basically the way that it goes is that there were 10 monkeys put into a cage 
big, big cage, like high enough that they could climb like, you know, a ways up and there were these bananas hung at the top. So the monkeys are there and they're like, you know, I want, I want these bananas. And so after a while they start climbing up to go get the bananas. And when they reach a certain height, like bam, they get blasted with cold water, pretty high power. And so they, they drop down, but they don't really put two and two together. And they're like, that was weird. And they go to go up again, boom, they reach this level blasted with cold water. And this happens enough times to where they eventually go, oh, okay, like if we go up and get the bananas, we're getting blasted with cold water. So don't go get the bananas, wait for the bananas to come to you and uh, wait for, you know, whatever food to come to you. And it just became accepted, like, do not climb. Okay. But then what happened was they would pull out one of the monkeys that was in there and they'd put in a fresh one. Well, what would happen is the fresh one would go to climb and before it could reach that height, the other ones would grab it and like beat the crap out of it. And in their way, tell them like, Hey, no, no, no. Like, don't do that. Like wait for the food to come to you. And they switched out monkey after monkey, after monkey, after monkey, until there were 10 monkeys in there who had never experienced the cold water. All they knew was, Hey, uh, we don't go up there. Um, it's like, well, why? Like, I don't, it's just the way it's always been done. We don't go up there. And it's this commonly accepted thing. And the group beats up anyone who tries to stray from that. Um, but you're like, okay, that's a good thing. They're not getting blasted by cold water. And, and this taught them a lesson that stuck with them, right? But he goes, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because essentially what you're up against is, is you need to do the reverse of that. He goes, there's a lot of guys here who are going to want to just do their thing, do what's always been done, protect um, the way that things have always been done here. He said, but with you guys getting the opportunity to work with the early adopters here um, to start working with the new operators and, you know, those early adopters influence other team guys to jump on board. Um, the new operators come in and they, they know your way right away. They don't know the old way he goes. And there's two things that are going to happen. Eventually new operators, new operators, new operators. They're, that's all they're ever going to know is your system. He goes. And uh, in the interim, the early adopters who are going to influence some of the other guys who are on the fence more and more are going to come over your way. And eventually um, we're going to have like something that is, you know, really based on science and, and what we should be doing. Just don't give up before we get there. I was like, okay, cool. And I'm really glad he did share that because, you know, there's, there's uh, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I would have quit or anything, but I probably would have found myself really frustrated in some different situations and been like, what are we doing? Are we really having an impact here? Sure. But uh, yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's changed so much even in the what 2006 five years that I've been there. It's like, you know, the resistance even from some of the knots was greater than it has been in the past couple of years where it's like they come in and they do this and they, they have just have a different perspective. And, and I think that that comes from the, the, the guys that have already gone through knots in our program, being able to, you know, speak to the value of it. And, and that's, it's really taken, it's taken time, but there's been a, there's been a culture change, which is super cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not, you're not going to win every battle and it's not everybody, but it's, no, they, once they become on, once they, uh, make it through to the teams, they can do whatever they want. Right. And so there's still a lot of guys in there doing stuff, but I mean, like even yesterday I was in there and there's, um, I've told you about the, the guys in there that are, that are real wild and some of the stuff that like I've, I've laughed. What do they call themselves again? Uh, dick fit. Yeah. Dick fit. <laughs> dick fit. Uh, I, I mean like in, and literally the one day I was in there, they like, they were doing different stuff, but it's like, it's almost like, uh, it's like a fraternity. Like, like, I don't know, like one dude is, is doing different, stuff uh and someone turned the fan towards him and grabbed a handful of chalk and chucked it into the fan and it was just like 
And I'm just like, I'm dying laughing, but I'm like, what is going on here? Because <laughs> when you realize how serious these, these guys, their, their job is, even though none of them, like, you know, they, they let loose and, and have fun. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's an extreme example. That's not like that all the time there. Sure. And, and, but what's cool is that kind of like the, I don't know, in, in my interpretation of kind of watching them, one of the dudes that really led that group uh, approached me last week. Um, no, on Monday this week. And was like, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this and blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to figure it out. And he's like, when are you here next? And, uh, and I've helped him with little stuff before, but they always just seem to go right back to doing like their crazy stuff. But, um, worked with him yesterday and it was awesome. Like he, he asked a lot of really good questions. He was actually like taking notes on stuff. And I was like, huh, this is pretty cool. So, is cool. um, it's like, but, but not that, you know, necessarily we're getting into that, but it's like, well, why, why might that be? And I think it's that, um, I've been present and anytime, like there's been times where I'm like, mm, can I help you with that? And they're like, yeah, for sure. They've never said no. Um, but I also have never been like, what are you guys doing? Like you stop yeah. doing this. Like you need to do this because that's just a real quick way, especially there for dudes to be like, what? <laughs> um, but I've just be been present, ass. helped. And uh, yeah, he just, he just reached a point with some things where he's like, all right, I believe you can help me. Like, let's go. So uh, pretty cool. And then right as I finished up with him, Another dude was just coming back from uh, an injury and he was out at Exos in Florida and I uh, was asking for some help. And uh, he was like, yeah, dude, he goes, literally everything we did down there is like exact things that I've done with your programming. I was like, as it should be. Like, yes. So, so pretty cool that they're uh, going down for something that costs, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars. And they're like, it's the same thing I did with you. I'm like, Man. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, that's a good thing. Exos has a, it's, it's good that we're on the same page. Let's just yes. say that. So what, let's start, let's from a principle based standpoint with the training that we do with them. I think if we just start talking about that, we can, we can in the, the process dispel some of the myths about like, you need to crush yourself all the time or yep. things need to be random or all this kind of stuff. So let's just, let's talk about the principles of the, of the training that we do with those guys. Sure. So it's funny to look back on it. Um, the, the individual that brought me out um, down there, or brought me down there, whatever, uh, helped me to realize, as I said about the first time he came down and we were talking philosophy, he said something back to me and we've kept it. And I look at it and I'm like, it still stands true. And the three words were, as he listened to everything I said, he distilled it down to modular, mobile, and ready. And I still look at that and go like, dang, like <laughs> that's it. And so modular in that, like, you can't just train like a bodybuilder. You can't say, I just like to do Olympic lifting. I just like to do CrossFit. I'm a runner. I just like to swim for my fitness. Like, no, there, there's different modules to fitness, which maybe isn't like a commonly accepted fitness term. But I think when you say modules, people go like, oh, it's different parts that come together to create the whole. Um, and so as he looked at what we did, it was like, hey, um, you know, we, we need to spread stressors across the week. We need to make sure that guys are training for all these different qualities but it isn't just like a approach, right? Um, so there's a way that we put the modules together. The next thing is that guys are always on the road. Guys are like, in some sense, they never really know when they're gonna be home and able to train consistently and when they're gonna be on the road. And when I came out, a lot of guys talked about, you know, when I'm on the road, half the time, I just, you know, go for a run and do some pushups. It's like, cool. So like you did some gate work and you did some upper body pushing and helping them to see that, um, the different modules like don't need to be attached to implements. Once you understand what it is that we're getting after with those things and you understand, you know, 
squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, and, and different uh, levels of, of stress that we um, expose ourselves to, you're no longer limited to this, all right, well, when I'm on the road, I can just run and do push-ups. So our programs are mobile and that you can take the principles of them and you can do them from anywhere. And the last thing is ready. You talked about, you know, just go and kill myself with my training. And even though some guys still do, um, you tell them something, you know, on a scale of one to 10, this should be like a six and they're doing like a 15. Um, the reality is that the way that, that we design things from a principle standpoint with programs out there is that it, it can't take away from their readiness because of what I just talked about, that they can get hit up on essentially a moment's notice, getting briefed, and now we're going out on mission. Um, we can't afford to do things from a programming standpoint that guys are like, I'm not going to be able to walk for the next three days. So uh, modular, mobile, ready. And I know I'm sure you probably want to go deeper on some of that, but from a yeah, big, we'll big, big overview, modular, mobile, ready. Well, I think a, a, an important thing to add to this too is that these guys have typically, they like to work out. Yes. They enjoy it. It's part of their identity. And they also have been special operators in different formats in their past careers. So they many have them, right? Not, many, not, not all yeah. of them, but many of them. Um, you could probably say most. Yeah. Uh, and that with that comes not only um, a bunch of accumulation of stress and injuries and different um, <sighs> different things that contribute to negatively, but also they have a gigantic well of fitness buildup because of all of the work that they've done over the years. So to think about it in the, in, in the need to dump a ton and a ton and a ton and a ton and a ton of stress into their bodily systems, first of all, you're not going to make the change that you want to make. And second of all, it's not necessary because they already are freak shows and, and have worked them to, to create them, to make themselves that way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny you say like they're, they're already freak shows. And yet, you know, people think of like, you think of like someone that plays in the NFL or you look at like a super high level athlete and there's a certain look that you're expecting. And what's, what's wild out there is there are some of those dudes where you're like, Nope, not messing with him. Yeah. And there's other ones who, who. But those guys even aren't, aren't even the most common people there. Yeah. No, 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 no. Most of the dudes you'd pass on the street and be like, okay, you know, but like, then, it's, psycholo it's psychological yeah then that, then you get into things that they're capable of you're like what yeah it's, <laughs> so, it's it's mentally where they're they have things that that most humans don't have i think yeah because even if you look at them just straight athletically quite honestly and i'm not i don't think you know that i'm not being arrogant when i say this most of the guys aren't as good of athletes as you or i are just across no. like straight athletically but it's just they have they have they can find some shit in themselves that most people can't find that's why i love to go in there and do the the sparta science testing yeah. and i'm like top of the charts i'm like see i'm i'm as i'm as good as you guys i could be here <laughs> and it's like nah <laughs> probably not uh, but so we i mean it's the it's the modular mobile ready thing but i think what really will um, help people out to understand this is understanding the different modules and understanding like from a, a holistic perspective, how to train someone and what systems. And when I say systems, I mean bodily systems and things that we develop to make sure that they are ready all the time. And they are, they do have uh, what they need to be able to go do what they do. And I think even starting with breaking it down from a, like holistically how we approach strength um, and, and, and making sure that things are balanced would be a good place to start. And then, you know, we can go into talking about 
how we plan out a training week and a training month to, to make it work for them, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a difference between getting someone ready for uh, a selection type event sure. and, and having someone train just consistently. So I'll, I'll start what I'm about to say with that. And that what I'm about to say is more so of like, someone's already made it to the dance. And now it's like, we're, we're doing training. That's, you know, keeping them uh, healthy. Um, and, and yet, you know, uh, well, the goal is longevity at, at a high end of their capabilities too, yeah. with that longevity. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, honestly, the, the programming, and that's why we wanted to do the, why I wanted to do the seminar when I started out there is like, because it's, it's so for lack of better terms, simple and reasonable. Um, and, and at first glance, a lot of guys are like, I, I'm going to get worse doing this. Like I'm doing so much more. I'm like, we'll see, like, we'll see. Um, because it's like, you know, uh, obviously it, there's, this is not a one size fits all. What I'm about to say is not like there, there are exceptions to this, but for the most part, it's like, you know, we lift two to three days a week. We condition, uh, typically about three days a week, as well as some stuff, you know, after our lifts. Um, and we just, the, the intensity of our, both our lifting and our conditioning is spread across the week, uh, working more from uh, neurologic uh, stress to more mechanical stress. So um, heavier, explain harder, that real quick. Yeah, he heavier, harder strength and power work at the beginning of the week. And um, just to give an analogy that I think most people will uh, understand, at the end of the week, you know, oftentimes will look more like bodybuilding work, more time under tension. Um, higher reps, uh, just more volume, total work done towards the end of the week. Um, and, and not as, you know, when we're over here at the beginning of the week and I'm saying about higher strength and power, it's like, we're talking, you know, three to five, occasionally we might do like eight reps. So we're talking like lower reps, higher load, um, in, in terms of, you know, uh, their one RM and everything middle of the week is going to be kind of middle of the road. And then later in the week, things are lighter and longer very simple explanation of it, but essentially, and then same thing for conditioning, yep. um, is, you know, uh, shorter bouts of work, longer periods of rest. So higher, uh, power production earlier in the week when it comes to conditioning and then longer, like, like these guys have to still get in their long, slow duration work, both from a longevity standpoint and making sure that they're uh, maintaining good aerobic health, but also, um, that, uh, they can both go do the things they need to be able to do for work and recover from it quickly. There's the recovery aspect, but also go do the things they need to be able to do for work and uh, work at a lower end of their capabilities so that they can stay calm and um, do the things they need to do well. Let's talk about conditioning because that's, I, I mean, you did a pretty good job of explaining it there, but I think we can talk about it more where you know, as this is especially true for hunters. Um, and it's, it's, I think it parallels with, with what we do with, with our tactical guys, with our operators is everybody thinks they have to, their conditioning has to put them in the trash can all the time. And it needs to be this high heart rate all the time. It needs to be, um, little recovery all the time. It needs to be, you're in a puddle of sweat on the floor all the time. Is there a place for some of that stuff? Yes. But, you know, let's talk about what happens when you do that all the time and why it's detrimental and, 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 uh, 
Yeah, let's just start there. You go. <laughs> I'm doing all the talking here. But you're the guest, man. I don't. All right, be... you, I mean, if you want me, uh... no. I mean, I can, but I just don't want to be the fucking podcast host. that's like brings a guy on and is like, "Well, actually, I'm going to talk about this all the time." So that's <laughs> nobody likes that guy. Uh, you start, and I'll jump in. I mean, you will. Uh, you're going to break down faster. You're not really going to necessarily improve at those things. And there's always that person, like this isn't just limited to tactical populations or hunters. Like even, you know, you and I going and presenting for Equinox. I remember this one girl being like, well, I do that. And my people have lowered their resting heart rate and they've gotten, I'm like, how old are they? You know? And it's like, Oh, you're training high school. This is like a high school lacrosse team that she's talking about. I'm like, it's very different. You know, the dudes that we work with um, it's rare that, and this was the, the first year uh, that you and I were sitting there. Well, first off, it was the first year we got to test guys as they were showing up for selection, right. but it was the first year where we were like, Oh my God, like, we're the same age. We were always younger than everybody. Yeah. Um, but apparently we're getting older. So these dudes are coming in, uh, most like young would be mid thirties. Yeah. Um, and, and there's reasons for that. Um, and really just has to do with the things that they have to have already done before they can get to this. So, um, so they're not the youngest dudes in the world. Um, and, uh, where was I going with that though? Um, oh, so just in terms of like, the amount of stress and, and, and recovery and everything, if it's always here all the time, they're just not going to get the returns that uh, they could otherwise. Yeah. You're not, I mean, you're not actually, while it might feel good and it might feel like you're accomplishing something, you're not actually doing the things that you think that you're doing yeah. because um, you know, think of it in terms of raw materials to be able to do all of the things that you want to do. And let's say, you know, hiking up a mountain, um, sprinting to get a shot, uh, killing the animal that you want to kill, and then hiking that animal back off of the, off of the, the mountain, you know, you think, well, I just need to do hard shit all the time. And that's, what's going to prepare me for that. But yeah. the reality is, is it's not true. You, first of all, what Chris said earlier about how you need to be able to stay at the lower range of like what your body would perceive as threat or heart rate so that you have more access to all of your physical capabilities. If you're constantly teaching your brain and your body that it needs to function at high stress all the time, that's what it's going to default to. And it's going to fuck you up when you need to take a shot. And it's also going to make you tired before you need to be tired. And the other thing to consider is that the body adapt adapts, adapts, Jesus, I was trying <laughs> to say adaptation and adapt at the same time uh, to things in layers. And you have to have some adaptations before you can start to create other adaptations. So for example, it's like Chris talked about the, the resting heart rate. If you don't have good cardiac output, which is the amount of blood that your heart punched about pumps out with each beat, then the things that you want to layer on top of that, you're going to get your heart rate up too fast to really access all of the, the abilities of your aerobic system. And if you can't use your aerobic system efficiently, you're going to get into your anaerobic system way too fast and you can't generate energy with your anaerobic system for very long. So you get tired really quickly and you don't recover from anaerobic work as well as you do aerobic work. So that's why it's so important to sit there and look at, you know, trying to do things like getting your resting heart rate down, trying to do things like cardiac output to get your, your heart rate lower and to maintain, it also helps recovery because of, of all the nutrients it gets out to your muscles. Um, but it also gives you the ability to layer your fitness. So, you know, you, you 
have the the aerobic base of cardiac output then you teach your aerobic system to work at higher heart rates without needing your your anaerobic system and then you work on how much power your aerobic system can put out and then you work on the capacity of that power and then finally you layer in some of that really hard anaerobic training in little doses and and the reason that we do it in little doses is because when you train hard anaerobically, it leaches away some of the aerobic adaptations that you have. So things like um, you build mitochondria in your muscles and all those kind of things. Well, hard anaerobic training destroys that stuff. So it not only makes it difficult for you to perform, it also makes it difficult for you to recover. So that's why it's so important to consider this stuff and be smart about it and not just think, well, I just got to bust my ass into the ground all the time because it's actually doing the exact opposite of what you want. Yeah. There we go. All right. I was the, I was the podcast host that said too much. Um, mm -mm, mm -mm. You get a better I, description than me. That's what just happened. Well, <laughs> I just said the sciencey stuff. Um, but I think it's important for folks to understand that we, we, how we who, build that in. Who, uh, I'm totally blanking on who said, but it was like your highs aren't high enough. Your lows aren't low enough. Like people play in the middle, you know, um, who the heck said that? Is that, I don't know. Is that Charlie really Francis? Know. I think Charlie Francis. Probably Charlie Francis. You could probably and quote like, him for most things. And it's like, so if you, you think about it in terms of what most people do, they like, they just play in the middle. So they never actually get strong enough to really be able to do things at, at the higher end of power output to really benefit from like the, the uh, further end of anaerobic work. They're not really strong enough to go uh, do things and not have to tap into as much of their resources. They're just stuck in the middle. And it's like they fatigue out quickly whenever they're doing things at higher intensity for any more than, you know, a couple minutes. Um, yeah. So I just, I feel like that quote's very applicable that your highs aren't high enough. Your lows aren't low enough. Yeah. Like, stop playing in the middle. I think, I think the, the thing that we, we, if you could narrow it down to one thing that we really try to accomplish is that we train those guys to always have resources left in the tank. And if you don't, if you don't have those resources, you know, there, it's going to affect you in every way that you possibly like. I mean, obviously, these guys do a bunch of psychological training. They do a lot of shooting training. They do a lot. But all of this stuff has to coincide because, you know, if it doesn't make sense, if if you're, you're training physically puts you in a position where it's going to leach mental resources at a, at a point when you have to make a decision, then you're not doing yourself a service because if your heart rate's going to get too high or if you're not recovered, or if you don't have the ability to get into a shooting position, or if you don't have the ability to do any of these things, it's going to leach from your mental faculties, which is going to leach from your decision-making, which is going to potentially put you or somebody else in a bad position. So all of these things have to make sense and coincide. And I, I think it, it really, um, it parallels hunting because it's like, well, if you get to the top of the ridge, and and you can't get your heart rate down or you're not in, in the place to be able to shoot, you're either going to miss an opportunity or you're going to make a bad shot or something else silly is going to happen and you're going to make a bad decision. And I think there's a really big parallel there of like the goal is to just have to train yourself to have resources in the tank. Not only that, but you know, what's really frustrating about hunting and, and we've talked about this. What's that? Sweating. What's sweating. And I yeah. get like some, I get some dudes and, and, and ladies, uh, just sweat more easily than others. But also it's like, if, if you're huffing and puffing 
like you just don't have a good aerobic capacity. Like you, you hike out to your stand, whatever, and you're huffing and puffing and then you're soaked in sweat. And it's like one, like your scent control, um, all screwed up. And then there's nothing like, you know, in the colder months sitting there and being freezing. So even little stuff like that, like, like sound training can have an impact on. Yeah. Well, and, uh, people always, and, and you know, that this is like one of my big things is being able to move slowly. Yeah. And it, it's harder to move slowly than to walk at a normal pace. And it's going to make you tired faster. And it, why are you laughing so much? Just like your provocative Instagram videos where you're like crawling and then you're Oh, like, yeah, dude. Just like, I'm like, a, I feel like, I'm like a naughty the, leopard. Between That's, that and some of the things you can do with this microphone, you could have a real, real side I business. Should. Oh, man. I did get, <laughs> you, you watch know, videos of you crawling and it's you whispering into the microphone. Like a, like a, like a naughty training ASMR or something. <laughs> There's dude, something there. There's, there's motherfuckers that make six figures off of doing that shit. I know. That's awesome. Uh, so I, uh, so when we look at, we look at uh, what we're doing with these training programs, obviously we have to fit all of these types of training into a comprehensive program. So we do, uh, it's not like we just train in this really like super strict periodization where we just develop one quality at a time. So it's like, we don't just like have a strength block and a power block and then a conditioning block. Like it all exists within the same program. And then what we consider is what Chris was talking about, something called the neurological, uh, the neurologic neurologic neural, neural metabolic continuum. I'm having a hard time getting shit out <laughs> the neural metabolic continuum, which is like your most demanding neurological work comes at the beginning of the week and your most demanding metabolic work comes at the end of the week. So that way, you know, those adaptations don't interfere with each other. And if you're doing a bunch of metabolic work before you do, um, you know, highly stressful strength training or power training, you're not going to get as much out of your strength and power training. Are there times to mix match those and everything? Yeah, for sure there are. But um, for the most part, we need to make the foundation there. And if you're doing that soundly in a basic level, you're going to do way better than trying to be fancy. You're going to say something. I was just going to say it comes later. You know, it's like, I I think of the beauty of Joe Ken's tier system, but I'm certain that Joe would agree. I can't say I'm certain, but I believe that Joe would agree that if someone doesn't have like good levels of strength, good levels of conditioning, there's no point in you doing, especially like if you look at, um, you know, how traditionally people will train power, then they'll go into strength, then they'll maybe go into like secondary strength and into conditioning work. And with Joe's system, it's like sometimes you do your power work at the end because he's training football players. Uh, he was the strength coach for the Carolina that are in the NFL. Let's yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah, he was a strength coach for the Carolina Panthers. And so, you know, uh, not to oversimplify his system, but but there are days where instead of starting with power, guys are doing power as the last thing they do that day um, because he needs his guys to still be powerful in the fourth quarter. So if they only ever train for power early on, but it's like, some people could hear that and be like, Oh, well, we need to start doing that. It's like, yeah, but you don't have the base levels of strength to even be able to do those things. Number one, safely, um, towards the end of your workouts. And it's like that, that stuff comes way, way later. Like most people need very, very basic approaches to training. And unfortunately, uh, for some folks and and what they want to be doing high levels of, of patience and, uh, commitment and consistency, to the process uh before worrying about all that other fancy stuff it's like just just get strong get a good aerobic base first yeah then then we can build the other qualities the challenge is showing up and and that's one of the things i just wrote a 
I just wrote a new article for the Journal of Mountain Hunting about all of the um, the different ways that I the head games that I play with myself to to get through training and stuff sometimes. And one of the things that I wrote about was make being bored the challenge. Sometimes you just got to show up and and just do the boring shit that that pays the the big dividends. And you know, with all of these, even with these uh, the operators that we train. It even for them comes back to basics a lot of times because, you know, you look at these guys that seemingly are fit, uh, seemingly are, have a lot of things that other humans don't have, but they don't know how to squat, right? They don't know how to deadlift correctly. Like, and, and there are certain places where you just have to start. It's like, well, how, how is this person moving? Because if you're not moving well and you can't tell your body to get into good positions, you're already wasting energy that you don't need to waste. So we need to start there. And then, then we can get strong. And as we do that, we layer our aerobic fitness in. And then as we get to uh, get those things where we need them to be, then we can start to play and have some more fun. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was helping to do with yesterday. It was like basic. I don't want to say basic because it's like, what's like the common knowledge isn't common. Like, is that the saying, whatever, like where to us, like we, we sometimes I think take for granted um, like, man, just number one, there's not many people teaching this stuff. Well, um, and two, there's things that we just assume, Oh, everyone knows that. And then you actually get out there and see what's going on. You're like, Oh no, no, I don't. And so, I mean, it was just basic, like, uh, width of stance, uh, how to, how to figure out where to angle his feet, like how to create tension, how to figure out what depth he should be squatting to. And, um, it's funny how big of an impact those basic things can have. And they're, yeah. Just, very, very easy to overlook and, and super, super important. Well, yeah. Not only do you get more out of your training, you just, you don't waste energy. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you do things into shitty positions, as much as there are some folks that say that there is no shitty position, just things you're not prepared for. And it's like, well, I think that's bullshit. Um, <laughs> there are things that you can do that are going to lead to get you hurt. And if you're squatting in a way that's not right for you, there's a real good chance that it's going to be cumulative and, and, and end up in an injury that seems acute, but the reality is, is it was coming all along, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, and that's the, that's the, the way that we think about things, you know, how are you moving? Um, what exercises are going to be right for you? Let's get strong in those positions. Let's try to expand your ability to move. We'll put some aerobic fitness on top of that and make sure yours is good. And then we dabble in that intensity when it needs to be there. And then I think for those guys too, um, the seasons of lifting approach is incredibly important because you talk about what that means. So there's like, I'll I'll give you a quick story of, uh, one of the dudes out there, um, you know, what I'm about to say, like, isn't, isn't super strong. Right. But he approached me a couple years ago, maybe, I don't know time. I have like no concept of time anymore. And he wanted to, to reach the thousand pound club. And this dude's a big, he's a big runner um uh brazilian jiu-jitsu like he's not a big strength guy right and i was like okay yeah and so we 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 got him there i don't remember how long it took obviously it was a it was a little bit of a process to get there with him but he he hit his goal thousand pound club we did it in a way that didn't take away from all the other things that he needs to do and then uh i hadn't seen him in a while and he came up to me yesterday and he's like uh well there was a point where he was like what should i do now and i set him up on a program that really backed off on the strength, um, brought up some more, um, conditioning. Right. And, and he's, he's just finishing up. It's taken him a while because of all these things going on, 
but he's finishing up that block and he's like, should I just do more of this, whatever? And I started explaining to him like, well, one, I think we need to look at what we can be consistent with because we've been on this for a while um, and needing to revisit that modular, that modular, modular, <laughs> modular um, principle. Uh, but I just brought up like the whole idea behind seasons of lifting and why we didn't just go, okay, you hit that. Now, like, let's keep going further down that. Um, and we switched over to more of a conditioning block. And the reality is, especially with these guys, um, switching up your training seasonally, it does a number of things. One, it keeps you engaged with your training. I know you talked about like, uh, showing up and, and fighting off boredom, but it also doesn't mean that we're chasing boredom and, and oh, no, that's no, not, no, no joy no. out of our training. And I know you no. don't mean that, but just, just for clarity. Um, and yeah, so the short of it is that the way that we set up programming is we'll have a season that's more of a strength. And for us, a season is about four months long. So a season that's more strength-based, but um, it's not at the detriment of other qualities, right? We'll have a season that's more of a, a conditioning. Um, uh, I say fat loss, but that so much comes down to nutrition. What you're eating. Um, yeah, but, but you know, more of a strength phase followed by more of a conditioning phase. And then um, the way that we try and line these up is, is more strength stuff in the fall, more conditioning stuff in um, like early uh, or, or like late winter into spring. And then um, in the summer, just uh, kind of mixed um, variable training that's shorter and takes advantage of getting out and, and, and doing more things outside. So not spending as much time in the weight room. So it's, it's a way that keeps guys from over patterning and, and chasing, you know, strength, 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 and killing themselves and getting in down the rabbit hole of being like, well, if, if I've reached this in terms of strength this month, uh, or this block, like now we're going here and now we're going here. It's like, you're not a power lifter. You don't need that. And so it breaks up their focus throughout different times of the year. And the way that we write it still works on making sure that we are taking into account all the qualities that they need to have to, to do the job well. So, yeah, it's uh letting go of some of the emotional attachments that we have to training in a certain way, which I think we're all guilty of sometimes, sure. but I 100% am. I know I, I have uh, Doug Kajichin right in my program right now. And when he first sent it to me, I don't even think I ever told Doug this. I should tell him. When he first sent it to me, uh, I looked at it and I saw that there were only like really two strength days. And I was like, oh, man. And then I saw that there was no bilateral strength training at all. It was all single limb. I was like, all right, well, you hired the guy. He knows what he's doing. Just, you know, show up and do what you need to do. <laughs> and it's, I mean, honestly, it's in, in the, I, he's only been doing my programming for a month. I've, I've moved better and I'm, uh, I feel, I feel, uh, like I got a big motor, so I got, I got no complaints, but it's just, it's just a, the testament of like, when you see that shit and you're like, I don't, I don't know about this, man. There's not yeah. this stuff that I'm used to doing and I'm really good at it. You know what I mean? So for sure. But before I let you go, I want you to, uh, I typically, well, I don't, I don't, not everybody listens to know this yet, but I'm going to do episodes in series now, kind of training, then a hunting skill where I have a guest to talk about hunting skills and then a story, but I want to talk cause you had something cool happen this season and you killed your first ever deer. So before we get off, I want you to tell a story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do you want me to tell? <laughs> the so, story, the story of killing the deer. I mean, okay. So lay as much foundation as you need to lay. Um, well, obviously you know, we have, uh, see, I just did the whole obviously thing. Obviously, honestly. obviously it's not, um, obvious. that's a problem. So we have, so we have, uh, 
access to a beautiful property through our business partner, Sean. And so you had done some earlier season scouting. The first story I have to tell is that you'd done some earlier season scouting and, uh, you know, first day, it wasn't opening day of archery, but it was like, I had, I was away at the beach and got back. So it was second day. And you're like, um, yeah, I got it. I got a spot, you know, picked out for us. It's gonna be perfect. Like, <laughs> and so, uh, we hike out there and, um, he's like, you're right here. I was like, cool. Where? And there's like, I could see a stand like way out in the distance, like through the hardwoods. I was like, is that you? He's like, no, that thing's old. He's like, I'm right here. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like 20 feet away from me. No, no, no. It and, was uh, like four, it was like 40 or 50 yards. 40. No, it was absolutely. Let's just, let's just make let's, sure that everybody let's, knows that I put you in the better spot. So let's, so there. the better spot. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not saying that anyway. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say this, like you can look at the pictures because what was hilarious is that, uh, I think we both had done like, uh, Instagram stories where like we showed like each other and the other tree. And I think Matt comment <laughs> commented back, Matt comment commented back. Uh, what are you guys hunting each other? <laughs> um, uh, we were pretty close, but so I, just wanted to, I, I do, you hadn't hunted for a while. So I wanted to be close <laughs> to you to make sure I'd be like, Hey man, this is happening. So, so, uh, it was funny. Like, like we had an idea based on, um, things that we'd seen on camera. Oh, they're going to be coming this end. But I just had this hunch that day, like, and I was turning around and, and I'm like looking up along kind of like the, the horizon of where it goes over the hill. And I was thinking I was seeing movement and, and you had texted me. You were like, what are you doing, man? I was like, I'm pretty sure I see something moving behind us. And then like, you know, a few seconds later, like one, one or two jumped, ran like directly behind you, probably still probably a good, what, like 40 yards, 50 yards at least. Yeah. Up. Um, and then one was slowly working its way down um, along me. At one point it was probably 35 40 yards standing broadside, but it was just through like thick stuff. I was like, I'm not going to get a shot. And so we were like, all right, this is the spot. And we spent the next, I don't know, few weeks kind of moving stands around a little bit up there. And, and we never saw any deer again, <laughs> but every time we'd be walking out, like right at Sean's driveway, we would always jump deer. And there's uh, there's this like, I don't know, this trail, like real wide cut out. There's a barn right there. I mean, it's like, I can look in Sean's kitchen window. It's an old, it's an old power easement. Is what yeah. I, I, I can look through, uh, Sean's window from where I ultimately, like we were walking through and we were like, holy crap, like, look at all the sign through here. And it's right off of his yard. I mean, I, I literally walk across his yard. Um, and I walk maybe 10 feet into the woods and set up a climber right there. And, uh, we, uh, the first time I hunted, there saw nothing you know and of course you're like oh man maybe this isn't it and so we set up different cameras and it was like another definitely moving through here um we had a number of of uh buck we had lots of doe and sitting 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 and you were hunting over at the farm and i don't know how many different times like I, like it got to a point where you were hunting at the farm a lot and, and i was hunting over there and we'd be texting like anything moving today like no nothing moving tonight and on this day i had shot you a text. I was like, nothing moving tonight. It was, it was a little bit before, um, dark. And then I was like, Oh wait. And I sent you a video of just like a little yearling, like running around in Sean's yard. I was like, well, there's, there's this one. Yeah. And it um, wasn't even a yearling. It was a fawn. It was a button. Yeah, buck. yeah. Yeah. And, uh, maybe a button buck. That wasn't not the one that was like below me. No, um, okay. this is the yeah. one that was like further up. So, uh, remember I, I sent you a video of like walking up along yep. near the pond. And then it was like literally running around in the yard. And, um, and I'm like, well, one, I'm, I'm not going to get a shot at this one. I'm not going to shoot something that small. So I'm just sitting there like taking this in. And uh, then it, it, it not even like it got spooked and ran off. It just, it just went up, up the hill, like just into left. the woods. 
and I hit you up. I was like, yeah, nothing else. And then it was like, I feel like the second I sent that text, I started to hear like crack, crack, crack coming up behind me. And I'm like freaking squirrels. <laughs> and I turn around and I just see, you know, like the, the ring of the white nose, like coming up around the hill. And then I'm like another one and another one. I'm like, Oh, okay. And it happened so fast. I think is, is the biggest takeaway that I had is I went from being like nothing, man, like again yeah. to like how many hours, I don't know. Uh, I'd spent sitting in this spot. Um, and all of a sudden, once it happened, it was like, here they come. And I had a pretty good idea of where they were going to walk out. And I thought they were going to loop behind me and then come up almost directly underneath me. And instead they stayed like up over from me and I'm watching them walk. I'm like, oh, okay. And there was like a big, there was two bigger doe. And then there was uh, I don't know, fawn, yearling, whatever. I mean, no, no spots or anything anymore. But, uh, um, and so they're coming through and the big one was in the lead. And I was like, awesome. And she's walking, walking, walking. And it was like, at this point, everything came together almost too easy because uh, there was just a little bit of wind to where it wasn't uh, totally silent. So I was able to um, grab my bow. I have one of those mounts that it's like, I don't know how, how would you describe that? It's like the on the like, side of your, your it's climber. It's already standing upright, yeah. like on the, on the arm rail. And so I just slid my hand into the loop, um, pulled the bow out. I drew and just followed her for like the last five yards. And I was like, all she needs to do is come around that tree. And she just kind of stuck her nose through and she's like looking left, looking right. There's a tree blocking my shot. And then, uh, you know, in my head, I was like, okay, as she starts to walk, it's like, maybe I'll make a noise to get her to stop. But she just stepped out so slowly that I kept um, my sight directly where I knew she was going to be. And I didn't even get her to stop walking because she was going so slow. The second she stepped perfectly in line, boom. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it went so incredibly easy. <laughs> funny, it's funny to use that word easy, like once it came together, because I mean, uh, good shot went, went straight through heart. The only downside was just, it hit, it did hit at an angle that it crushed the opposite shoulder. Yeah. Um, but I think that kept her from really going far at all. Cause I don't know if she went 40 yards, um, drop, drop pretty quick. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was cool. I was, I was happy that to be there for your first year. Well, I wasn't there, but I came up afterwards because, uh, I wanted to go help him with like gutting it and skin it and stuff. Cause I know it was like, that was a, that would be a new process for you. <laughs> and then, so wait, I, wait, 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 wait. I, I would tell it, I was going to tell it. Let you me just to... say this. Okay. Go ahead. That, that should be my highlight. It should be like, what do you remember most about that? Like, That's what I'm going to tell. That's the story I'm going to tell. I know. So. And I'm just going to say that what Todd's about to say, this became the highlight of the night because I was like, oh my God. <laughs> or, or low light, one of the two. Yeah. Well, it's just the so, thing that stands out most to me. At this I point. got, I get the deer, I get the deer all opened up. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm about to, I just cut the windpipe to, to be able to grab it and start pulling all the guts out. And I was, I was cutting the diaphragm and the rib cage kept closing up on me. I was like, Chris, grab here and pull open. <laughs> and as soon as he did, I went to cut the diaphragm and it was dark. I'm going to make an excuse for myself. It was dark. And I just cut the shit right out of his finger on the I way mean, to like, cut the diaphragm. Like, like, <laughs> like right through his fingernail. Literally through the fingernail, <laughs> and like a good chunk of the tip of my 
uh, I think at this point, I don't even remember. Was it my middle finger? Yeah, I, I don't hammered even, him. I don't even remember. I hammered him, man. But like the majority of uh, the way that it hit, like my fingertip, I could have grabbed it and ripped my fingertip off. And I was like, <laughs> and I just went, I just went, oh, and he was like, and he goes, did I get you? <laughs> and we have on gloves and the tip of my glove, it, number one, it's obviously cut, but it's like, it, it's the part that still is like hanging down is filling up with blood and then blood is running out. I was like, yeah, you got me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, is this bad? Like, because my blood is like mixing with this goddamn deer's blood. And like, and then I still am like, you know, I want to be a part of like, of, of processing the dang thing. And instead I'm sitting here like squeezing the crap out of my finger. I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to need stitches. Like, <laughs> it, oh man, that sucks. And then yeah. it was like, that was fun. The next, uh, I didn't go get it checked out. Luckily it all, it all worked out well. I do have a little bit of a scar. It was my middle finger. Uh, and, um, it was fun lifting the next few days. Grab, I would grab a hold of a barbell and like go to do like deadlifts and it would just immediately start pushing blood out tip of my finger. Neat. No, it was cool. I mean, other than that, I felt bad about that, but it was, it was a good experience to, to have you do that. Cause I remember I was sitting in my tree stand down at the farm and I just got dough down as your text came through and then all i thought about was like well how am i gonna get the fuck out of here to go help him without spooking any deer because it wasn't dark yet like i was i was done hunting i was like i gotta go help chris started like right before dark yeah and i was like looking around i was super careful sneaking out i was like i don't think anything's here i don't think anything moved in so i got down and drove up there as fast as i could to help you out and then we got to skin it all out that night get it quartered get it in the cooler to age and then we got to walk through how to process a deer yourself over the past over the like we let it sit for four days or so and then and then butchered it and and everything so it was really cool to be able to do that and the other thing that was kind of surprising was you know when i hit her like obviously i had said like she immediately jumped um and she ran right towards the barn but i mean i blew out her front right shoulder and so she just like her front end kind of collapsed. And I mean, no exaggeration, her butt and hind legs went straight up in the air. I thought she broke her neck. Like, oh, she and, she, and, and she actually hit the tree that we have a camera on real hard broke. Uh, the arrow didn't pass through. It was stuck in the shoulder. Um, and it's because uh, you're left-handed. That's why it didn't go the way through. If you weren't evil. <laughs> and, uh, and, and broke the arrow off right there. Uh, I mean, like literally clean snap of the arrow almost to the, to the end of it, like maybe a few inches remaining before the broadhead. And, uh, and then she still, I was surprised, got up and went a little bit into the woods and, and dropped. And I mean, I heard like for a few seconds, like a couple kicks and then yeah. silence, but well, what really, well, no, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Go ahead. I was gonna say, what really surprised me is that's a huge commotion, right? Like it is loud. Like when it, when it hit number one, there's, there's the sound of the bow releasing, which Whack. isn't, which isn't crazy loud, but like when it hits the rib cage it's loud and then she hit and there's there's definitely a loud to that and then the way she jumped and she crashed and she ran in the other tree and the other deer were just like this son of a bitch what's uh well i know no one can see me the way we're gonna pose but like they're just like hey what's uh what's going on over there nance seems to be having some trouble and they (laughs) and they just stayed and what's what's crazy is i thought i was gonna be all kinds of shaky like i was just like surprisingly chill because you get like as on the approach you're like okay all right. Like you're like calm, like breathe. Like you don't want to be shaken as, as you're, as you're drawn and, and trying to aim here. And then once it was over, I was just like chill. And I remember grabbing my camera and I'm sending Todd a video. I'm like, these ones are still just hanging out. And I easily could have shot um, another one of the two. The one, when I, when I hit the one that I got the, she did 
jump and she ran behind me, but she only ran maybe 20 yards and she like was close enough to still shoot. Not that I was going to, but um, was through some, some thick stuff and I had no interest in shooting the younger one, but the younger one, like I sent Todd video, like stop. She's like, all right, squat down, pee. And then like kind of walked is like looking around, like this is all pretty weird and stayed behind me. I didn't get out of my stand for like 15 minutes because maybe 10 minutes because she just stayed right there. And then um, follow, eventually followed the other one down, like yeah. back down the mountain from there. But yeah, I think just that they didn't, even though they kind of jumped for a second, they didn't run far at all. Maybe yeah. you know, one, one, a few feet, the other one, 20 yards tops. I shot uh, it's well the good well two things there your shot when you see them jump straight up in the air like that like that's usually a pretty indicate good indication that you made a good shot like a good lung shot and so that's that's always something to look for with the with the bow with a gun it's kind of variable because it's just it's the hydrostatic shock that that kills them so you, they move in different ways sometimes but usually when you're hunting with a bow if they jump straight up it's a good hit uh but I shot a doe two years ago with my rifle and she had stepped out, you know, a little before dusk. I was hunting down with Matt Comment down in Culpeper, and she stepped out, and, and I shot her. I think it was only with a rifle. It was like 140 yards. It wasn't a crazy shot, but she walked, stepped out with her two fawns, and I shot her. And obviously, my rifle is ridiculously loud because it has a break on it. And uh, I shot her, and then she started. She sprinted maybe i don't know 50 yards and died but even while i shot even while she ran away the fawns just stood there and just kept eating i didn't care it's like just killed your mom man you know you're a jerk <laughs> but whenever no. uh whenever you went to pennsylvania and um hill got his first deer yeah and uh i was telling jess and she goes did uh did todd cut his finger off <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't well honestly he didn't cut but he he didn't respond the same way you did he was like he was incredibly shaky and he, yeah. he said, I'm glad you're here. Cause I couldn't be doing this right now. I don't really. <laughs> so he actually didn't even, I think touch it. <laughs> has, did he hunt anything prior to that? Ducks and squirrels and stuff like that. Oh, so. okay. Cause I was going to say like, I, I mean, that was my first year, but one, you know, I'd hunted, I got into it after high school. And so like, right. I was actually coming home. My freshman year of college I was coming home. And that's where I was like, I missed the property my parents had. And while I never got a deer there, I never even had a shot there. Um, I at least had been like, you know, had a number of deer. No, that's not true. I got a shot. And I told, I shared that story with you. Definitely hit one. And unfortunately did not, uh, it's about like foam and like a real foamy blood, right. Where I hit and, uh, 99% sure we saw that deer walking around numerous times after that, which is super weird to me. Um, but, uh, and then, um, you know, lots of small game and, and all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. It was weird, even though that was like a first with that. Plus, you know, with Darren, um, I'd, I'd been around for a number of deer that were taken and, and the process. So I don't know. It was a, it was weird, but it's really, really awesome to, to do that, go through the, the whole process of processing the deer. And then, you know, for new years this year, um, did, uh, did, uh, what some backstrap, um, for my parents, my mom ate venison for the first time. Even really? my, my dad always, you know, we had venison all the time growing up, even though he doesn't hunt deer. I said about the uh, people across the, the, the cattle street. farm across the street, they processed deer and um, their son was uh, um, state game lands. And sometimes when they had like a fresh deer that was like hit by a car or whatever, they would actually get it like immediately and they would get it up there and, and cool it. And so they would always give that meat away. 
And so we always had a lot of venison growing. My mom was like, no, I'm not eating that. So I don't weird. know. For some reason on New Year's, she ate it and she was like, wow, this really does taste like steak. Like it's not gamey. It's, you know. That, well, that's, I mean, that's the shit that we, I mean, my mom won't eat anymore. And that's because when I was a little boy, that's all we ate. We didn't yeah. eat anything else other than, other than whitetail venison. But I think that's where people get the the impression that it's going to be gamey because they had so many experiences of eating venison from people that have no idea how to take care of meat. So it starts to throw weird flavors because maybe you didn't get the meat cooled down well enough. Maybe you, you know, you didn't do it fast enough. You didn't do a good job of aging it, like all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, if you don't take care of it, it can start to taste shitty. But if you learn how to take care of it and and do it the right way, you know, um, it it doesn't taste game. You know what tastes gamier than whitetail venison? Lamb. Every day of the week. Tastes way gamier than than, than whitetail venison. And it's not even like it wasn't gamey my mom was just like i'm not i'm not because i know where that came from i'm not eating it and we were like that seems backwards from doesn't make sense you know the stuff you get at the store and what that goes through to get to yeah, no shit. Is, uh, is pretty bad like so. this this ate acorns yeah the the end of sticks some grass some fruit it's and the cow you're eating you fucking knows what it ate so yeah pumped up with different things and treated like crap and yeah it's i mean not not across the street across the street they were pasture raised and you know, Dude, that was the that was a handled, I mean that's rare. You know where I grew up, so I grew up around a lot of small family farms. And when the first time I ever drove to Wyoming, and right along eighty, you see, uh, you see staging areas for factory farms, and like, dude, it's fucking disgusting. It's yeah. it's disgusting. It's sad. It's just like, uh, and and there was part of me that you know when I started hunting again, it, was, it had a lot to do with where my food came from, not just how much I enjoyed hunting and everything too, but. And then I saw that and I was like, yeah, I made the right choice. This is, this is awful to look at. So, and I get it. I'm not on a soapbox because we got a lot of mouths to feed, but if I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. So. Yeah. And, and if you can, you know, there's, you can do things with actually going direct to farmer. Oh yeah. I, um, I did that with Matt comment. You've done yep, it with Matt before. Yep. I did. We did a 4-H cow a couple years ago. Um, and then the other thing that, that you can do, and I was talking with my dad about this is uh, maybe other stores too, but if you go to Whole Foods, Um, I'm not a big whole foods person, but if you go to whole foods, they have like a numbering system for their meat and um, you can, you can get uh, genuinely get meat humanely treated, not pumped up with different things. And I did that once uh, and it came from here in Virginia and it costs $2 million. I was going to say, that's the only thing is yeah. yeah, Go to the goat. It's, it's very reasonable um, when you find some of these opportunities where you can go to the farmer, like that 4-H, oh, yeah, the 4-H cow that I did with Matt. I mean, I think we paid $5. That's what we just, like, we, I think we paid, we just paid, uh, I got a little just for insurance sake because I only killed two deer this year and I blew through that caribou. Um, so I, we paid five forty six a pound, something like yeah, that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's not much. And that includes like, that's like some of them are like, well, I can get ground beef or whatever. It's like, no, it's like this has steaks, man. Yeah. Steaks, everything. It's, it's out of this world. No, it's it's the way to do it for sure. If you can't, if you can't kill all your food, but word up. This is awesome, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, it's fun. When we get off this, I'll probably talk to you later today though. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon.